Episode 38 of The Passive Hang. Today, I've got Flynn Disney jumping on the podcast, who is a teacher of parkour and movement. He is based in the UK in the big city of London. Remember, if you have any questions about the podcast or about this whole movement thing, jump on thepassivehang.com where I've got some free resources. Thanks for tuning in and we're going to get started. Thanks, guys, for joining in once again. This is episode 38 of The Passive Hang. It's Faye on here, and I'm really glad to finally connect with Flynn Disney, who is currently in Porto because he's escaped the London winter, which seems like a pretty good option. And I'm happy to get him down for a chat because I've been following him just recently and really been resonating with, I think, the information you've been presenting, especially with your approach to parkour. And it seems like you're doing interesting things with forming an online group as well. And the work there, I'm really keen to ask and get in a bit deeper as well into this chat. But yeah, just want to make you, I'll uh, give you a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. And first of all, I, I don't feel like I've escaped the winter. I'm in yeah, in, in the north of Portugal just now, and I'm looking at a pretty rainy, rainy setting, which I'm grateful for. But uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> kind of gone from winter to winter. So. <laughs> um, so we were just chatting before we pressed record about um, how how good travel is, and sometimes like the benefits of changing environments. And I think this is if we want to jump straight into it, you know, one of the interesting aspects of parkour as well is I think you expose yourself to many new environments all the time. You're searching for these new environments as well. That's when I've just mucked around with, you know, very basic sort of precision jumps, what I really enjoy versus going to the usual set of gymnastics rings or something like that. So how are you feeling at the moment with this sort of change of pace, having removed yourself from London sitting in Porto now. What's going on at the moment? Feeling great, man. Um, we, we were just sort of broaching into a discussion about uh, creativity and creating the space for creativity. And uh, that, that's very much how I feel at the moment. Uh, I've been playing a lot with this idea of um, intensity and sensitivity and how the two uh, correlate inversely, meaning that when we're experiencing greater uh, intensities or greater volumes or magnitudes, we're a little bit less capable of sensing kind of smaller differences. Um, so our, our, our sensitivity only increases relative to how kind of low the intensity of what we're experiencing is. So to put that in, in context, uh, in a small little town like Porto, I'm feeling my creative juices flowing. I feel very kind of in touch with myself and, uh, yeah, this is this is quite a cool a cool thing. That's kind of the, the topic of the um, uh, the research group at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been playing a lot with uh, kind of welcoming disorder a little bit, um, mm -hmm. which is the perfect time to do that whilst traveling because you can't predict what's going to happen in the day, which is kind of the definition of disorder in a sense. And uh, yeah, I, I just and and this is something else I would love to talk about. Um, coming from my background and maybe some of the uh, more kind of generalist movement practices is, is I see it as very orderly and uh, kind of 
not sure if the the space for chaos has been fully grasped yet. Mm. So that's another conversation I'd love to have. Yeah, this balance between order and chaos, you know, if we want to borrow heavily from the work of Jordan Peterson, right? Um, I myself, I know when I was solo traveling for a very long period, what I found quite comforting for myself actually was starting my day with a quite orderly routine. Because as you say, as your day goes on, you don't really know what may happen, especially if you open yourself up to that sort of opportunity. I think I'm a little bit, maybe what I'm sensing like you, you don't travel with a huge schedule of, you know, I got to hit all these sites and go sightseeing. You just, you're just there and whatever may happen may happen. But what I found really comforting was, you know, having a bit of a morning routine, not just physical, but, you know, riding. Do you also balance that sort of chaos with that order in the similar sort of way? I, I definitely tend to swing <laughs> at times more to the, to the chaotic, I would say, um, for better and worse. But lately, I've just been making sure that uh, basic, basic needs are catered to. Uh, I do my work, I feed and, and uh, myself and all of this. And then uh, from here, it's quite a lot of space. Uh, so I've been, for example, 12 hours ago, no, not even 12, uh, nine hours ago, I was training for maybe two hours in um, the square, the central square in Porto, just sort of uh, playing and exploring in this area. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, I think, with this, this idea of balance, which is, I think, one of these ideas that's so powerful, it's kind of become a cliche, but um, yeah, just this balance of yin and yang and, and order and chaos. And we need some, some of both, depending on where we are, uh, what our goals are. Um, but I think this is, this is the, the interesting thing for me is that we can actually maybe kind of change the balance in order to create certain effects. Uh, from, from traveling for a long time I, I, in the past, I just sort of turned around one day and realized I haven't achieved anything. Um, as, as a sort of early 20 year old, um, I just sort of realized that this, this path was very uh, fulfilling in a sense, uh, very engaging to have this sort of sense of, um, uh, this sense of uh, positive uncertainty, so I'm finding myself using a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I wasn't really investing in anything. Um, mm. And so it, it just seems very important to have a sense of moving forward, the sense of um, uh, organizing things, uh, organizing what, what, what's what been done in order to create more or to, to refine or anything like this. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely see the, uh, the, the balance in, in these things is very powerful. Mm. So you mentioned your early 20s and maybe this is a nice side jump to sort of go back into the, the backstory or the background, you know, jumping on your profile, it, or your website, I think I grabbed it saying that you, you help people explore parkour and movement from a somatic perspective. Um, so maybe take us through that journey. Like was parkour your primary vehicle from all this time? Like where did this all sort of start for you? Yeah. So I started training parkour 13 years ago when I was 13 or 14 years old. So I've been training about as much time as I haven't been training, which is quite mm-hmm. fun. And I was teaching for maybe four years 
uh, and it, it, it didn't feel like a very sort of sustainable or stable job. And, if it, and as I mentioned, I came to this sort of crisis moment where I, I, I looked at my life and I thought, what am I actually, what's going on here? Um, and then this is a similar moment that I decided to actually kind of step away from coaching parkour after quite a few years of doing this. Uh, and I decided to pursue a kind of second sketchy career path in, instead of having just one, which was working with dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent uh, several years, well, I guess a year and a half, uh, well, two years in the process of learning um, about animal psychology, initially starting with this very kind of uh, B.F. Skinner behaviorist approach, uh, which just takes the, it's called black box thinking, right? So it's like you, you, you take the animal and you say, we can't know what's going on inside of this, this, this creature. Mm-hmm. but we can determine what happens if we reward or punish or something like this. So it, it, it kind of takes the first person experience out of the equation. Um, and this is what I played with for, for a while until I realized that it was deeply insufficient for making uh, real changes. And, and the tools, um, the tools that are, uh, that can be learned from this kind of practice of, of behavioral psychology are very, very useful, very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we you have to understand them as, as uh, really just the, the tools to, to kind of achieve certain things. So um, from, from this other kind of, uh, what's the word, um, sort of dissatisfaction with this way of thinking about things, I started to read a little bit more about uh, emotion, science of emotion, so the work of uh, Antonio Damasio, uh, Jordan Peterson, as you've mentioned, um, who still has one of the most interesting books I've, I've ever read, which is Massive Meaning, which is mm-hmm. a truly strange and interesting book. Um, and yeah, this just gave me this sort of sense, this kind of clue that there was something a little bit different going on in terms of the, the, uh, the quality of the first person experience. Uh, and so I, I, I sort of just started to um, integrate a lot of this work into my own training or also started to try to coming from quite a kind of um, emotionally suppressed and kind of stoic uh, background when I was a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just trying to kind of integrate some of these ideas about the, um, the significance of, of feeling and the significance of, of first-person experiences. Uh, and then I got a horrible injury. Um, which was sort of interestingly connected mm. to, to this last part. Uh, was, this it, was, was that via parkour? This is via parkour, yeah. Mm. Um, this is a really subtle one. It's important um, to, to clear this up. Um, to the point in my life where I was experiencing a lot of loss, just there were quite a few things that were, that were there that then weren't there. And mm. um, I think there's quite a lot of kind of negative emotion that I was experiencing when I was sort of pushing this to the side. And my sense of what happened uh, looking back now is through pushing away all these kind of um, uh, emotions, which we can maybe see also as intuitions. We can sometimes use these terms uh, synonymously by pushing all of this stuff away. The signal that probably would have stopped me from doing this jump also kind of got, got pushed. Um, and uh, yeah, so I ended up with a pretty nasty broken wrist, uh, fell from quite high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this made me go just, this is again, another kind of crisis moment, uh, which created a lot of opportunity, which was just like, what, what am I, what am I doing? I've been training for 11 or 12 years at this point. 
Mm. And certainly I've got the worst injury that I've ever had. What, what's going on here? Uh, and then I really took this time to, again, just reassess what my, what my practice was about, um, both in terms of uh, my own personal practice and, and coaching practice. And uh, tried to, I think, as you've sort of said, parkour is, um, it's not necessarily high. Um, I, there's a kind of maybe useful distinction between uh, risk and danger risk being the probability of failure and danger being the consequences. Hmm. Um, so when I say, oh, parkour is not risky, so it kind of depends what you mean. Um, I'm going with this. So yeah, my, my, my experience was that um, the one of the, the, the largest elements actually for uh, reducing risk is kind of the, the subjective experience. It's the, hmm. what, what, are, what is your emotional state? What is your body trying to tell you? Uh, what is the significance of these uh, signals? Um, and it's very easy to say in a very kind of cognitive way, what is your body trying to tell you? And then you can kind of try and think about it, but it's really more about um, noticing these kind of subtle shifts within the mm -hmm. body. So maybe this is the contraction of the, of the gut or an increasing beat of the heart or some kind of movement in the body. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's been very interesting. Yeah, that sounds like quite a common theme sometimes I hear with some of the guest practitioners, even myself with my story is this opportunity from, from loss or from injury where, where that moment where it's so traumatic drives you into this deeper level of questioning, yeah. which at the time really sucks. I mean, <laughs> we're not going to yeah. lie here. It's a, it's a, sure. it's a black hole where you kind of just yeah. want to get out. But then always in reflection, you can appreciate like the path that it starts setting out before you. So maybe can you go a little bit deeper th throughout that period through maybe what you're questioning yourself and how you then came to some of these realizations? Mm. Like, was that a, was it sort of like you talked to somebody and it was like, aha, uh -huh, or did it come very slowly? Mm. Uh, yeah, this is a really nice term to describe that, which is uh, post-traumatic growth. Hmm. So it's not, not spoken I've, about very much. But... I've never heard it put that way. Yeah, <laughs> normally yeah, in the sense. negative. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, so to go a little bit deeper into that, um, my intellectual upbringing, let's say, was with people like um, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens, and sort of. The, the four horsemen of the, uh, I can't remember, they, they have some silly, silly name, but let, let's happily forget that. Um, so this very sort of um, uh, rationalist, atheistic, uh, somewhat reductive, obviously I'm, I'm being a little bit critical right now, but mm. um, way of, of, of looking at the world, kind of chopping it into smaller pieces and maybe looking at the pieces in quite a close, but um, isolated way. And it was actually through Sam Harris that I heard a, a conversation with Antonio Damasio, who I just mentioned is an um, uh, Italian neuroscientist who's doing a lot of work on uh, emotion. Mm. What is emotion? Uh, what is intuition? What is consciousness? So looking at this through an evolutionary lens, through a phylogenetic lens, which is a sort of like the tree, the tree of life. Uh, so he talks about, for example, the, the shape of creatures the shape of uh, organisms, living organisms, when they 
first started to emerge, these kind of tiny, sim single-celled, simple organisms. Hmm. Um, and then the talks about the, the evolutionary progression from there into like a human or a dog or something like this. Um, he describes uh, what he calls the proto-self, which is the kind of pure, pure um, kind of moving body that isn't necessarily feeling. So going back to this little single-celled creature, it's like mm. kind of floating there in, in, the, in the water and it's responding to different um, changes in pressure and different maybe kind of chemical changes. And it's doing all of these things and it's eating and it's reproducing and it's moving around, but it's never aware of anything that's going on. Mm. And so there's this real kind of shift from, from A to B there. But again, that's another tangent. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, the the culture in parkour, at least the one that I grew up with, it's also important to note that parkour is really not a monolith. Mm. There are so many different ways of, of practicing and approaching it. And um, there'll be people who say, I do parkour, and I'll say, I do parkour, but we train in completely different ways, um, which is incredible. And it, it's also a great source of, of chaos because there's so much mm. kind of potential of what one can do. Uh, but the group that I was training with for quite a while and the kind of mentality that I had when I was a little bit younger was this quite kind of um, masculine, stoic, uh, you, you know, you have to kind of push through and, and if you reason that you can do it, then just kind of switch your body off and, and just kind of do it. Mm. Uh, it's a lot about breaking fears. Um, and there's a real time for this and it's really something to uh, experience and continue experiences, uh, continue experiencing is this process of uh, what's called breaking jumps in parkour. So this is when you find some kind of mental barrier and you're just like, fuck, I just can't do this thing. And then you have to reverse engineer, figure it out. And mm -hmm. um, so it's problem solving with a kind of um, emotional component. And I've had some very powerful experiences here. Um, but this used to be the kind of center of my training. It was all about this, this process of breaking jumps. And I think I got a lot of growth in ways that are quite difficult to measure um, from this process, which is an important point. Um, but ultimately, uh, what, what I what I learned is that when our body is reacting in this very strong way, like we're getting these kind of fear signals or something like this, uh, this is not necessarily the time to go, uh, stupid body, why are you, you know, why are you... Um, giving me this, this kind of bullshit information. I just mm. think this is really the time to, to listen to this information and work with it. Uh, and this is something I've been exploring the last, uh, through the last project with the online exploration group, uh, is this kind of reduction in intensity, which I described earlier regarding sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Which we've also been just kind of seeing what we can apply this principle to. Uh, this is a kind of pr principles, first principles led approach where it's, we're just looking at, um, this uh, kind of somewhat irreducible truth as much as possible mm -hmm. uh, and then kind of re reasoning up from there. So also looking at applying this idea to the, um, to the training process, which means a lot of listening, a lot of um, kind of lower intensity movement. Um, it's maybe a little bit hard to describe what I'm picturing because I, I always struggle to know who has context for what I'm, what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's maybe worth kind of going into uh, what my parkour practice looks like or what I think. Yeah, I think is. so. But, but you know, let's assume for the usual listener there, you know, and an enthusiast in this modern movement culture, maybe they might've had some parkour 
experiences, but maybe not too much. So I think this would be a great time to jump into what you currently do as your practice. Yeah. What do I currently do as my practice? Like I said, it's been very open. It's been very playful. Been moving a lot, um, but in a, in a kind of adaptive way. There's a few ideas that I'm focusing on, um, which at the moment is a lot of uh, uh, what I would call mapping, uh, mapping my my body in different um, different positions, different angles, different kind of vectors, um, uh, which was actually inspired by hitting my knee uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've decided to focus a little bit more on this um, before it was a little bit a little bit different. Uh, so I've taken this opportunity to go a little bit slower um, and work on some more uh, uh, what what I would call kind of logical flow. Uh, so it's a similar perhaps kind of guiding principle to the work of um, uh, Tom Wexler or uh, Neil Tiesner. I've just been spending some time with, if you know him, German practitioner. Mm-hmm. He's doing a lot of um, uh, dance acrobatics, let's say. Uh, and take a lot of inspiration from, from him and from Will that I've mentioned and just playing with these kind of spirals and um, a much kind of lower intensity uh, way of training. I'm, I'm often training in quite a um, uh, high intensity, low volume way in, in a kind of... Um, uh, more technically difficult movements that require a lot of accuracy and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just been just the last month or so, or even month or two, just stepping a little bit away from this and going a little bit more towards um, uh, connecting movements, what we call roots. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not quite an improvisation, um, but it's uh, there is a large improvisational element. And this is something I also wanted to talk about in terms of the creative process. Um, if you guys don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about, you can check out my Instagram or check out um, a good friend of mine is uh, Matt McCreary, mm-hmm. uh, who's an Irish practitioner who really has this process uh, kind of dialed down of just sort of listening, uh, putting yourself into a space and kind of listening for what comes next. Uh, and, and this is a kind of the quietness element. It's, it's not projecting an image of what you, you have so it's not projecting the image of what you want to do. It's just uh, kind of sensing what you have, where your force is going, uh, how you can uh, go go with the flow to lack of a less mm. I think this. You mentioned a few, couple of interesting things, um, such as this, this mapping, and almost, uh, from what I gather, is, is that almost like a, a mapping of like your position or body within within space and then relating back to what you mentioned before about that that correlation between intensity and sensitivity that reminds me almost of when i reduce down the intensity all the way to like a standing practice and then you can feel almost everything right if you turn your attention to it versus doing a heavy squat sometimes that's a bit harder to feel everything that's that's happening apart from like that weakest link in the chain where you're like ah oh, trying to push through mm-hmm. so it so that is that what you're kind of doing you're kind of re- regressing or doing skills which are more basic for you but trying to pay a bit more attention to it yeah i would say uh, and, and and even doing things that are basic but um, maybe a little bit unfamiliar Mm-hmm. Um, my, my practice in the past has been very orientated to uh, how to describe it um, more uh, kind of sagittal forward moving um, sort, sort of stuff uh, a lot of 
jumping and swinging, running, vaulting, stuff like this. But actually not so much of this more kind of dance acrobatics world. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is quite a new world actually to explore and, and it's a nice opportunity to kind of um, uh, get some very loud feedback that, that's kind of internal to my own mind and body in terms of feeling self-conscious. It, 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 uh, I flatter myself, but it reminds me, there's a story that uh, Rodney Mullen tells about um, him going from uh, flatlined skating to, um, I, don't, I don't know what the term is, like environmental skating. That's definitely not it. But, uh, st- street skating. That's it. Street environmental skating. skating sounds very interesting, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That's one for uh, one for another day. Um, so, so he speaks about going from this this uh, space where he's very comfortable, he's innovating, he's kind of leading the world and kickflips and, and stuff like this, and then he moves to street skating where it's trying to interact with the uh, obstacles and grinds and and jumps mm. and ollies and stuff like this. And he said that he just sucked at it, but he'd always kind of avoided uh, something like this. Uh, and so he gets to this, this training jam and everyone's kind of doing their stuff and people have been training street for quite a while, so pretty, pretty skilled. And uh, he's got his reputation, he's like Rodney Marlin, he's like super, super skilled. And then he mm-hmm. just completely sucks because he's never done any of the, of the street stuff before. And mm-hmm. people are like, this is Rodney Marlin, how does, why is he so you know, crappy at what he's doing? Um, so there's a kind of humble pie to, to swallow here that I think is quite um, quite uh, good to do. Uh, and this is why I also really resonate for, for the um, uh, more kind of generalist perspective, although not, not 100% do I, do I map onto this, but because mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of space for, as I said, kind of uncertainty. Um, I, th- I think for the typical generalist approach maybe doesn't quite get into, but... Um, I'm very pro, uh, pro-human generalist in, in, in the sense that we want to be uh, confronting our um, uh, sides of ourselves that we don't normally experience, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, just from the perspective of being a person or being a teacher or being a, a husband or a wife or a father or, or a mother. It's, these are very important things. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, as Will is very fond of saying, it's it's uh, it's not about the container, it's not about the vessel. It's really about what's inside the inside the vessel. Um, so I, I can't be your initial question, but I'm sure that didn't answer it. <laughs> but it's been an interesting discussion as well, which is, um, you know, one burning question that I wanted to ask you is, like, why parkour? You know, what got you started into it, and now what keeps you in it? I'm sure once you had that quite terrible injury as well, maybe you asked a f- yourself a few questions such as like, should I keep on continuing in this? Right. Yeah. Um, where, to, where to start? I guess chronologically is, is good. Uh, so, so I started when I was, as I said, about 13 or 14 years old, maybe a little bit younger. And up until this point, I, I played a little bit with martial arts and some stuff like this. I was watching Bruce Lee films, Jackie Chan films, very inspired by this uh, this world. And I went to some kung fu lessons, but it just it, it didn't really sort of what what I would now describe as it, it didn't really resonate with me. It, it didn't really make this kind of like deep intuitive sense of mm-hmm. um, mapping what we were doing onto why we were doing it. Uh, and this is maybe still some immaturity that I have, but it, it, in my mind, we were going to 
practice some kind of combat sport. But it was just a lot of like kata and kind of slow movement and stuff like this. And at least at the time, uh, this 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 just didn't feel like what I wanted to be to be doing. I'm sure this was also uh, to do with uh, my own kind of avoidance when I was younger, and and perhaps now. And so from from here, uh, I was very lucky to be at school with a guy, uh, Jassim, who was. Uh, had already been training for a few years and this is very uncommon this is very rare at the time 2006-ish um to see someone who was was training so essentially i just started training with him uh so we can go down to the uh, to the south bank um which you, you also have in melbourne right yeah we do have a south bank that's that's and really you, funny. you also have a, a south bank that people train train for mm-hmm. so there's something going on there but um so we go down to the to the South Bank, this kind of area, central London, near the London Eye, and just meet with people and, and start training. And there was one particularly uh, formative character, actually, that, that I would love to mention, a guy called Elliot, who uh, the first time I saw him in training, I, I didn't even connect it to parkour in, in, my young, in my young mind. It was a guy who was doing these really small movements, uh, climbing, uh, a, lot, a lot of kind of quite slow and, and, and careful climbs uh, a lot of uh, what we would call foot placement work which is just s- sort of striding across little surfaces and uh, trying to be accurate with the foot which we mm-hmm. generally take to be landing on, on the balls of the feet um, and, and, I, and I saw him practicing in this very quiet way which is very different to kind of what I'd seen in, in all these YouTube videos of people doing you know, crazy crazy stunts um, and over the over the months, I started to talk to him, and just really interesting, very artistic, very creative guy. Um, and he was just very clearly doing this for personal reasons. And, and this, I think, is quite an important distinction. It's like between really doing it for yourself and and, and this kind of influence of social media and all of this stuff it's like how is this influencing the way that you're doing things it's like if you're not sure what the answer to that question is then it's probably a lot um again i, I think i'm not answering your question this is what i mean i'm, I'm, a, I'm a tangenter um, <laughs> going just to yeah i think you're getting towards it like the, the what or why you got into parkour, parkour. and right, then right, what what right. keeps you going yeah so uh yeah that that was relevant then. good um, this is definitely one of my early influences of like, this is a thing where there's, uh, there, there are some, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, one more story and I'll say what I was going to say. Um, so when I was again, about sort of 14, maybe 15 been training for a little while, but didn't really make any, any progress, I would say, wasn't really thinking about this in terms of progress, but, mm. um, not a deeply natural mover, I would say. And I was... With this big group one day at the South Bank, and people were coming down to train for a uh, New Year's Eve jam that used to used to go on. It was on December the thirtieth, so it was called the Eve Eve. And uh, two or three of the very higher higher level um, movers at the time, uh, two two friends, I called um, Daniel at the background, Phil Doyle, were were, were, were training. Except, except it wasn't really training, it was playing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just remember that, that so there was this, this little alleyway um, with a lamppost and, uh, and, and two walls. 
and they were doing these swings and, and what we call 180s, which so you can hang and then push off of a wall. Um, and, they were, and they were trying these things, different challenges, and they were trying and failing and, and just kind of smiling and joking. And my image of, of training until this point was kind of like these Jackie Chan films, kind of like arduous, difficult, difficult stuff, and mm. um, kind of martial arts background a little bit, a lot of running and stuff like this. Um, I was like, well, this is something completely different. Like, this is not only uh, stuff I've never seen anyone doing before in terms of uh, quality and kind of uh, t- taking risks in, in this very kind of casual way, or, or, or rather not taking risks, but kind of exploring, exploring danger in, in this very um, casual way. So it will seem very safe. And uh, th- this just kind of opened up my eyes in terms of what, what could be possible. And, and, and um, as I said, this uh, sense of uh, positive uncertainty, I, I really see as a kind of vital part of this whole equation. Um, and for me, parkour contains a kind of infinite supply of, um, of positive uncertainty, meaning there's always going to be something a little bit more uh, complex or challenging than what you're doing now, mm. whether this is within the same kind of movement um, say a precision, like you said, uh, like you can probably always push yourself to find new precisions, but at some point it's, you're just scaling up in intensity. Uh, and, and this is not a good recipe, um, mm. for, for, uh, for longevity. Um, so there's also this kind of perspective of, um, with diversifying, uh, within parkour, there are so many, um, uh, let's say kind of techniques and tools to explore. Um, to kind of create and solve these these puzzles. So, yeah, f- 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 I, I would say the the most grabbing factor that still brings me back to parkour, that still makes me, me dream about it, is a sense of um, I, I could have done that as well. It's, it's sort of like thinking back on on a training session and going like, oh, I wonder if this would have worked, and maybe there's uh, maybe there's a way to have integrated this movement or. Um, it's it's this sense of um, uh, something more could happen, and I know that it would be it would be safe and it would be good um, and it would be really enjoyable. Uh, and, and and I would say that this is kind of what yeah this this high high level of um, of uh, of uh, stuff to organize in a sense. Mm. It's not quite getting across the. Um, emotive uh, value that I'm, that I'm feeling for, for this, but um, yeah, I just, I just see it as a very kind of infinite game relative to something like, let's say eating hot dogs, you know, it's like, this is a very finite game. It's like, you can become the best hot dog eater in the world, um, but it, you, you, you could kind of predict what, what is going to happen within this kind of very set, uh, set number of variables that, that goes on in a hot dog eating competition. You have your hot dogs, you have your time, and then it's just like, I'm sure there are some nuances to hot dog eating that I don't understand, but, but, but I suspect quite strongly that it's a much more um, a finite and kind of closed game than mm. parkour. So, yeah. And I guess this, um, uh, I like how you're mentioning this, this finite and infinite game because it references, like, I don't know if you've read this book, but this book by James Cass, uh, it's called Finite in, in infinite games um and he makes that distinction between the two with uh 
just finite is where there's a set of boundaries that can be yeah. rules that start making it different and less open than an infinite game. And I can see how parkour being out there in the environment, choosing a new course, or even just like one sort of setting, there's a multitude of courses that open up to you, right? Um, it seems yeah. a lot more freeing than, yeah, if you are in a gym maybe, and then there are some set exercises to do, yeah. which um, I can see the, the, the attraction there. So, you know, when you normally drill parkour, do you sort of approach it in a way where there is like a set course so then you are creating that boundary that 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 finite course and then doing that over and over again or you mentioned improvisation before so is there also part of the practice where you just go for it and see where you end up there's definitely elements of of this pure improvisation it's something i would say hasn't been dug into so much and when i say pure improvisation i mean um i'm one second away from doing the next thing i don't know what i'm going to do Mm-hmm. Um, th- this I would say is is not so well mapped out in parkour. Uh, that said, um, there are definitely moments of improvisation that, that come and feel feel great. Uh, whether it's small small movements or, or sometimes larger ones, um, saving yourself. You know, if you have a you have this intention to not touch the floor, even if you're quite low um, low from the floor. So just having this intention and kind of letting your body conform to what it needs to do is, is quite a nice way to kind of bring this up. But I'm not sure if we call that improvisation. And in terms of, uh, I do a lot of um, what we call lashes. I, I always tend to say I do a lot of swinging, but this comes across as not not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, so uh, yeah, with, with the swinging stuff, uh, there's a lot of force that you're using if you imagine uh yeah kind of gibbons swinging around uh marcello made a marcello palazzo mm-hmm. a, a good friend made a really nice video about this um ricochet or brachiation um, uh, so you have a lot of force to to explore and then within these moments there's often um let's say i've tried to swing from one point to another and i've succeeded and then it's like cool now i have like a like a i don't know half a ton of force to play with so what do i do um so yeah, I guess I'm exploring a little bit of this this idea of like kind of feed forward, um, uh, f- feed forward practice of uh, kind of programming algorithms is one way to think about it. Hmm. So that your your body just knows how to respond to a uh, position in 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 space. Um, uh, so I think through this kind of practices, there's a lot of space improvisation, but generally, um, at, at least at the moment with my, over the last few months with my focus on, uh, creating ease, reducing the intensity of, of an experience. It's a time that we've been using a lot as uh, subjective intensity. So this is just the kind of level of, um, of, uh, your attention that is being filled by an activity, as you mm-hmm. said earlier, lifting a very heavy weight is going to be a much more subjectively intense experience mm-hmm. than uh, li- lifting up a, a feather or, or a stick. Um, within weightlifting, there are, I mean, obviously the goal is intensity. Within strength training, the goal is intensity. Um, there aren't as many kind of dials to turn in order to make things uh, less intense. And is that even the goal? 
but within a practice like parkour or perhaps uh, tricking or, or even dance, although the, the end goal is a little bit um, more obscure, uh, let's just keep it to parkour. Um, there are many little levers to, to pull and dials to turn in, in, in terms of making things um, easier or, or uh, more effortless. Mm. And this is, what, this is what we've been exploring a lot in, in the group is this idea of uh, how can we make things more more effortless. So how can we use uh, physics principles? How can we use kind of neuromuscular phenomena, things that the body does, uh, and other kind of principles to create ease within movement? Uh, so that's been my focus recently. Yeah, I think this is a good segue to jump into what you're doing with this this group because it seems like this is like a, a recent thing that you've started up. So mm. really exciting to see. And you mentioned also this concept of first principles, which I'm also very interested to ask about because I've heard this term used by Elon Musk actually about yeah, uh, right. making making decisions. So um, yeah, maybe bring us through where has this idea of the group been uh, formed from, and you know, is there yeah. an aim of the group? Mm. So I, I feel like I've tried to take advantage of the vast reserves of intellectual power that we have at our disposal in the in the in 2020 mm -hmm. we have the you know we have the second uh, second tier students of einstein have like many readable books so richard feynman mm -hmm. uh, who's a very cool physicist and very interesting uh interesting person C a cool physicist sorry um <laughs> Very, uh, very powerful dude, let's say. So, he, you know, he, he's got all of these kind of lectures and talks and um, just for, uh, as a random example, it's like there's so much to pull from these, from these, from these resources. So it's, for me, this whole endeavor has felt a lot like I'm a kind of standing on the shoulders of, of giants sort of thing. So we've mentioned Jordan Peterson. Uh, this is someone who I take a lot of inspiration from, a lot of influence from in terms of um, uh, these what you could call um, uh, a priori categories. So a priori, uh, a term from I guess philosophy means uh, before in, in this in this context means before experience. Mm -hmm. So an a priori category is like a category that we have uh, or a way of interacting with the world uh, that we have before we actually um, make contact with it. So this would be something like. Um, this could be the kind of like your fight or flight response, something like this. Like we have an a priori category for mm. uh, danger and threat, um, because this is something that we've we've, we've uh, dealt with for a very long time in terms of our uh, phylogenetic kind of um, history. Um, so I just kept on pulling on this thread because it's just so interesting. Like what is what is going on here, and uh, Peterson's talking about this space between, he's, he's talking about uh, order as this also kind of um, a priori category of, of, thing, of a thing that has kind of existed almost mm -hmm. forever and it's sort of really on the boundary between a real and not real thing or a kind of um, uh, physical and not physical thing. I think some people call these things hyper real because they're so kind of constant. Um, so he talks about order as this uh, sense of kind of familiarity. Um, I'm in a situation where I, I feel order. It means that I can predict the outcome of my actions. It means that um, 
I've, I've maybe been in a similar situation before. Maybe I'm with my family or my, my allies or my, uh, I'm, I'm near a kind of reliable source of food or something like this. Uh, and then on the other side of this, we have sort of disorder, um, which looks kind of uncertainty. I can't predict the consequences of my actions. I don't, I don't know um, what's going to happen next. And then you can kind of divide uh, the experience of disorder into um, uh, positive uncertainty, negative uncertainty. Negative mm -hmm. uncertainty would maybe be like anxiety, like I have, not that anxiety is, is negative, and I think it's nice to frame all of this stuff, it's just sort of, kind of just observing it. But, um, anxiety, like uh, there's so many choices, and I don't know what to do, and I'm kind of afraid of going over here, I don't feel um, something like this. And then on the other side, we have positive uncertainty, which is uh, you call hope. Uh, and you could also call it um, exploration because it's, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that when I go there, it will be better than it is right now. Um, and, and, and that seems to also be an a priority category in the sense that um, the, the birds that I'm watching outside are also experiencing these things because at some point they're going to go somewhere that they haven't been before uh, and their body will react in a, in a, in a, in a, in a certain way to give them these, uh, I guess you could call them uh, behavioral programs. So this is things like um, approach and avoid. Uh, do I want to move towards this thing or do I want to move, move away from it? Um, and, and, and all of this opens up just so many interesting questions. Um, where do these paths go? What happens if you keep on following positive uncertainty? Mm -hmm. um, stuff like this. So, yeah, go ahead. So maybe could you give... Uh how you've run this through practically with the group. So you have yeah. these, these concepts and uh, ideas in mind, but then what do you tell them to do? Right. Because I guess the base practice then translates to, to parkour. So how does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to give a kind of like conceptual, um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of background for, for, for some of the way in, in which, in which I came to this idea. Oh, actually there was one more thing I wanted to mention, which is the, the inspiration for the online exploration group. Mm -hmm. was the uh, uh, London exploration sessions. So this was a, a, another kind of project in positive uncertainty where each, uh, for, I guess I ran it for in total about a year. Um, but the idea was just to go into a, a new space in London, a new area. London's huge and full of uh, old estates and kind of crumbling uh, brutalist housing blocks and stuff like this. So there's mm -hmm. so many incredible opportunities for Focal. Um, so the idea was just to, to meet in a new location each week. I don't know where we're going to go as the leader of the group. Obviously the students don't know. Um, and we would just sort of descend, descend into the, into the evening and, and, and find some stuff to, to look at, uh, to kind of guide that exploration. We'd also, we'd also explore some kind of, uh, idea concepts relating to the inner experiences, um, or the, yeah, pr pretty much related to the kind of inner world. So we have this uh, this kind of external exploration and internal exploration happening um, simultaneously. So for example, we looked at uh, approach, avoid, what makes you want to go towards something, uh, what, what kind of body positions or what kind of um, level of uncertainty, let's say, makes you want to go, okay, cool, I'm gonna continue doing this. And what level of uncertainty or, or kind of emotional state makes you want to go, right, I'm just gonna check my, my Instagram. So that would be the kind of avoidant, avoidant behavior. 
so th this was just a fascinating process um, extremely positive uh, very popular as well for a Paco class in London very, very popular which was interesting like it really resonated with people um, for me one of the most interesting things was that we had a uh, near zero percent injury risk uh, injury rate over uh, about a year of, of teaching parkour which is mm. for me is, is actually quite a big achievement um, we had one guy go through a fence which I, I, I probably could have done slightly more pessimism and then maybe that wouldn't have happened but he was totally fine and mm. um, that was just sort of walking on a metal uh, a rock and bit of wood um, which we thought was okay but and it wasn't but anyway um, <laughs> so, so uh yeah, so, so to, to me, that lack of um, uh, injury that, that, that happened was very much to do with the, um, the focal point of the, of the training. Uh, again, it's like my, my more rational mind is like, this could just be a statistical anomaly. And then if you keep on going for another like, month, then you're going to have 10 injuries like, all at the same time. But I, but I don't think that this is the case. Um, so... Yeah, my, my sense of why the injury rate was so low was just to do with the encouragement of A, uh, a very, uh, what's the word, uh, kind of cohesive group. So very positive that there wasn't, um, there, there wasn't a kind of competitive air. It was, it was very much like, great, like do, do what you can do, do what you feel like doing. Uh, I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to force you to not listen to your intuition. I'm just going to encourage you to maybe listen and, re and repeat stuff quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the point is that the, the focus is very internal. And I, and I see in a lot of um, traditional parkour classes, let's say, and I would also extend this to classes more generally, the effect, the, uh, effect is different, but the affect is, is the same in the sense of it's, it's actually quite difficult to, uh, I find, uh, listen to oneself in a group environment. Um, we have self-consciousness, we have uh, oh, what should I be doing? I should probably be doing the same as everyone else. Or maybe I want to do something different. So I feel like this. So, but it's it, it just makes it a little bit muddy, and I and I and I, and I see that it's um, not that it's bad to do things in classes or anything like this. But it just seems like with the right encouragement, um, there could perhaps be. Um, and by the right encouragement, I just mean the. Shifting the focus more towards the the quality of one's experience and the, and the things that are happening within within the body, and um, and now here I, I could go down a tangent and talk about um uh, the kind of the, the uh, great grandfather of parkour this guy uh, Georges Herbert. You're gonna have to remind me of the original question after this. But, um, <laughs> so this guy uh, Georges Herbert, who was a um, who was a naval officer or a firefighter, I think a naval officer, um, who was a pretty pretty serious guy by the sounds of it. it was pretty uh, it, it was in incremental in a uh, volcano eruption operation mission. So pretty pretty functional guy, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, very very strong, very very intelligent by all by all means. Um, and he travelled. Uh, so this is I think kind of late eighteen hundreds, um, early nineteen hundreds. I'm not too sure. But he um, either after or during being in the navy travelled traveled around and saw these uh, kind of tribes people um, who were just moving so strongly and freely and they were so kind of poised and calm and, and all of this as you can imagine um, that he contrasted what 
kind of results, let's say, this sort of tribal living was getting, and then contrasted this to um, Scandinavian uh, remedial gymnastics, which was the kind of dominant um, uh, training methodology at the time. That's not mm. quite right, but, uh, and, and this is a kind of, this is all linked into the uh, like Danish cultural revolution, which I don't fully understand, so I won't really talk about, but it had a lot of people um, sort of signifying their, um, um, their, their solidarity, I believe, with, with each other by doing a lot of uh, kind of arm swings and body rolls and stuff like this, all kind of rhythmically in a big group mm. together. So if you can imagine this, it's, it's a very different thing to something like parkour or what uh, Georges Hébert started, which was the method naturelle, which was like kind of, it's mod now. <laughs> now. Mm. <laughs> Although maybe, uh, maybe there's, yeah, let's not go into that. Um, so yeah, it, it, so th th this was then the, the inspiration from parkour. And it's just cool to note that the, the uh, I believe the, the grandfather or a great grandfather actually, uh, this guy Georges Bell was very much in uh, in this mentality of how can we develop the individual, uh, and, and I, I feel like that's kind of what I'm coming back to in a in just a kind of different setting. It's like how can mm. we prioritize the um, and and it's not to say I mean this there's, there's yeah there's so much to say here uh, in terms of also the the power of of uh, as I said kind of co cohesion. Um, within a group uh, is is one of the most remarkable things I've, I've experienced is just how one feels being around uh, good people where you're kind of al aligned in your intention and, and this is one of the other really special things about parkour is that it's it's really uh, you're, you're not you, you, you can practice alone and I, and I love practicing alone particularly at the moment but there's something so powerful there's something so uh, positive lacking a better word than um, uh, uh, with um, yeah, training together with people, training together with friends. Uh, I, yeah, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop that tangent there. But um, I, I guess your question was initially about uh, the exploration group, the online group, and the kind of practical side of it. Yeah, so um, it's, I guess I'm really interested now um, getting that background from, you know, your thinking behind it and also mm -hmm. these subjective experience concepts as well getting a greater understanding yeah. there which has been wonderful so now i'm interested you know when it comes down to it these guys they join the group they want to do parkour as well so what's the kind mm -hmm. of instruction like and then how do you incorporate what you've just gone through before into the actual parkour work mm -hmm. so there's a lot of observation and um, say the power of just uh, noticing things is is uh, is huge and that's also deeply related to the to the topic because of uh, the as i said the relationship between intensity and sensitivity um so we're really yeah so that's more that's more conceptual stuff um so yeah in, in terms of the practical um the tasks have been things like um finding finding a, a sequence and then exploring a few different kind of concepts within that sequence to see, see how that changes things. Uh, we've been using a lot of um, uh, the movement of the eyes, for example, S seeing how the uh, movement of the eyes can direct the movement of the body and, and how we can maybe get into a kind of more um, 
fluid and kind of global way of moving by not kind of looking at every visual point, but kind of choosing specific visual points to, mm. to, um, to use. Uh, so it's, it's been, I would say, mostly task-based uh, in, in terms of the, the learning stuff. Uh, this, for me, feels like quite a nice way to uh, teach is, is this idea of um, uh, kind of emergence. It's like, how can you create an environment in which the uh, effect that you're trying to achieve just sort of spontaneously pops up? Um, so it's been a, lo a lot of um, tasks focusing on either awareness or having some kind of clear, like, this is what you're trying to do. Um, uh, kind of um, kind of structure. So, um, yeah, tasks and constraints and um, I guess kind of in internal focal points. That that's been been the majority of the uh, movement teaching side. We've got quite a few people who uh, haven't done any parkour before, like uh, like Jack, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit. Um, and yeah, I've just been very happy to offer uh, some more kind of. Um, uh, more help with structuring training and like what is parkour and how can we how can we train and stuff like this because I, I really see it as this perfect vessel for uh, for exploration but obviously it's like it's, it's different to something like bouldering where if you've never done bouldering before you can just go to a bouldering gym and mm. you're bouldering it's like you know whereas with parkour you probably need at least like a like a bit of time at least a month or, 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 or even a, a couple of weeks maybe of, uh, of preparation before you're doing parkour in, in, in a sense. Um, so the, the, the tools take a little bit more refining mm. um, in some sense. So with that, I wanted to ask, what is your approach to teaching somebody to get started in parkour? Let's say for, for our listeners there, someone who has been spending a bit of time, you know, on their general capacity, they not so worried so so much more about you know mobility strength requirements but want to challenge themselves yeah. in this uh, area what would you get them started on there's a, a question that i really like um i think a coach should ask themselves is uh, could you uh, teach this person to be more capable than you are or uh, could you teach this person not just to move like you but could you teach this person or, or facilitate this person to move in their own way and mm. um, in the way that kind of resonates for them the most, uh, which is not a question that I uh, necessarily have the answer to, but I've been trying to um, re remain aware of this. So uh, my approach to to this question would to, to this question of um, how to help someone get into parkour who's got a higher capacity uh, would be starting with just basic tools, um, really really basic stuff. Um, uh, for example, sort of standing up, sitting down from a chair, uh, feeling, understanding the length of the spine and how the uh, creation of length in the spine changes the, can change the, the center of mass. And through this, you can more easily kind of manipulate the body. Mm. Um, so these kind of basic tasks like this, basic tasks, working up to landings, jumping, um, just trying to do all of these things, bearing in mind a few kind of vital principles, um, from there, let's say you've done a six week phase of uh, learning these tools to some level. From there, we might then go into, um, or we would then go into working more on, on roots and connections and stuff like this. But also, yeah, I would say it sort of depends on the goals of the person. But, um, 
working on these sort of spaces in between. Uh, how can we develop roots? How, how can we um, uh, looking maybe more at the creative process behind behind this um, this sort of thing? So yeah, in, in, in this sense, just um, uh, strong focus on on, on basic movements, uh, decreasing uh, variability. Mm -hmm. uh, so decreasing chaos within the movements. So, so there's a nuance here of um, increasing variation, but decreasing variability. So, so what I mean by that is it's really important to um, be able to, let's say, perform a movement within a wide variety of, of contexts. And this gives us a lot of information to, mm -hmm. um, to play with. And this is a very powerful process. But at the same time, we want our precision to look and feel like a precision. We want the cat pass to look and feel like a cat pass because uh, without this consistency of um, of, uh, of of movement, you're you're opening yourself up to uh, the inevitability of of, uh, of failure in a sense. So if if, if there's a one percent chance that I'm going to slip and hit my shin when I land, uh, and if I do a hundred jumps in a session, it's like, well, that's a pretty pretty high chance. Yeah. Um. So. And so you mentioned these like basic movements what are these basic movements i've seen on your website like this uh interesting type of uh flow um, is it a flow chart or a, sort a, of flow? a mind map yeah. yeah a mind map and yeah. i yeah i thought wow that's like a, a system for parkour almost or something like that yeah. so yeah. yeah what what do you term as these base movements that you think that people should be covering yeah i, I really like working with mind maps as well I, I find it's more representative of the messiness of my own mind um, then a kind of straight document for, for organizing thoughts. So I love it. I know Will hates it. Will, whenever he sees one of my mind maps, his, his brain explodes. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the basic movements would be, to a very, very basic level, would be um, things like arm swings. Um, it's a huge, huge power in creating a lot of uh, movement of the arms to then transfer force through the body. If you think about the arms as uh, levers, levers of force multipliers, um, which means that when you use uh, leverage correctly, you can create more force with less effort, which is exactly the, um, the idea of, of the, uh, the group at the moment. So um, if you watch some of my uh, precision work on, on, on the ground or wherever, mm -hmm. you'll see that it's um, even with smaller jumps, uh, that there, was, there was a couple of jumps that I uploaded recently uh, I think it was, a, yeah, it doesn't matter, uh, that are on quite high up uh, bars. So it's jumping from bar to bar. It's a very small jump. It's maybe like five foot, which, which actually sort of makes it more difficult in a way. It's a lot of, a lot of space uh, either side. And even with this small jump, I'm still using a, quite a kind of big swing of the arms um, in order to just kind of dial in, dial in what I'm doing. Uh, so we have this sort of movement, this kind of bilateral arm swing, and there is, uh, a movement that I really like is uh, precision dip. So it's kind of just practicing the takeoff, but um, incorporating the swing of the arms so that the concentric motion of the dip of, of the squat mm -hmm. is, um, is less effort than it would be if it was just a body weight squat because mm -hmm. you're using the arms to pull your body back up. So it's again, it's uh, in, in, in this sense, it's, it's all about initially at least reducing intensity um, which I'm also recommending that people who are doing this with me are also doing a, a couple of higher intensity 
strength sessions a week, at least in the beginning, um, because it can be it can be very low low intensity, which is really quite nice. Um, so there, there are these things uh, working a lot with the swing of the arms, kind of full body coordination, um, things like working on uh, strides. Uh, so a stride is a single leg bound from, from space to space. Uh, a friend of mine who's something of an authority made the point that strides are the kind of basic unit of parkour, like walking mm -hmm. is the running, strides after parkour. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that, that sounds pretty 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 accurate, although walking, I would say, is, is also a pretty good kind of basic unit of parkour, and there's a lot of awareness that you can build just walking around and walking quite quickly. Um, so yeah, things like strides, it's more kind of contralateral movement of the body. Uh, things like, um, uh, th th there's a role for things like quadrupedal movement, I think. Um, I think it's not as big as a lot of people seem to think in, in parkour. Uh, but I, I would say some of these um, kind of four-point walking, moving exercises can be quite useful for developing some awareness of the of the body. But you could also just look at the specific awareness that you're trying to get, um, which in, in my mind would be this idea of the uh, zone of apposition. So this is kind of reciprocal tension between the um, between the, the the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. Um, yeah, so. Um, th this is a kind of in incremental part of the process in terms of uh, transferring force through the body. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess it's all sort of geared towards um, minimizing minimizing damage is, mm -hmm. is a good way to think about it. Um, because you, you are inevitably dealing with um, quite high forces. But I, I think it's important to note that when dealt with in the right way, high forces don't necessarily translate to high damage. Um, so you use a lot of this uh, sort of distribution principle um, that you can, you're, you're sort of better off using multiple mechanisms to do, uh, to do the work within a system um, than just using one mechanism. So for example, with the precisions, uh, there's been a lot of, I've seen good friends have incredible, uh, incredibly accurate precisions, really silent, but, um due to due to the sort of lack of distribution it's like a lot of a lot of uh, flexion in the knee but the, the torso stays quite high um which is fine after a certain point but then below a certain point it's like then you're really putting a lot of it's sort of like jumping mm. down into a sissy squat mm. doing like a hundred a hundred reps of this like a like a 10 foot sissy squat um it's like pretty intense right so yeah. i've seen a lot of people seen a lot of people in this way have a very high and kind of parkour capacity, but just due to this maybe kind of lack of distribution, um, end up not being able to train anymore. Uh, so just reinforcing things like using a very clear uh, hinge from the hip or creating some kind of unity in the spine, um, using a lot of dorsiflexion, which my friend told me yesterday is actually extension, not, not flexion. But not, not important for now, that was, that was my blame <laughs> It makes perfect sense. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, if, for me, it's a lot about yeah, distributing these forces around the body and then also um, by uh, decelerating in, in the right way it's possible to reduce the, the total impact. Mm -hmm. If you imagine kind of jumping from a great height down into water, it's like the reason why you don't splat is because you slow down before mm -hmm. you stop. If you do the same on the concrete, you're just going to stop straight away. So you can kind of create this effect by creating more extension 
through the through the hips through shifting the body weight slightly behind the, the center of mass behind the mm. behind the hips maybe um you can elongate the process of landing and, and this uh, will yeah, reduce the the, the, the shock so there, there are these sort of basic principles um that that, that can be learned but I, I think the the i guess i try and think a lot about motivation as well and mm-hmm. um, just sort of talking about this positive uncertainty and also just like uh pure pure volume is, is i think the kind of best way to uh to, to really progress with anything and parkour is great because you can you can really move as you go depending on what city you're in so also trying to encourage just more integration uh um, less separation between what is practice what isn't practice mm. um yeah and so it sounds like you you spend quite a bit of work up front on this preparatory work during this phase is that element of risk do you remove that and it's more on this type of technical work thinking about you know this positioning of the torso this sort of stuff when you're doing these jumps or do you start incorporating at least some element of this risk or perception of of danger at an early stage as well there's always going to be some in a sense so it's a conversation that i try and open up quite early is um like what is the role of of the signals that your body is sending uh, and, and generally my, my, my advice in the beginning is just listen um, don't, don't try and push against them uh, listen um, t- actually no push against them but that's uh, not quite the right image in my mind it's sort of like uh, I, I really like this idea of uh, dipping a toe and this sort of like non-committal like I'm just going to kind of see how the water is so in, mm-hmm. in, in this sense but um, very much in the beginning it's about um minimizing the risk later on that would be the, the main focus um, so just a lot of these kind of low intensity tasks and exercises but um initially uh it's like if you're if you haven't done parkour before and you get up onto a high thing and you feel like super shaky it's like you know maybe you should feel shaky you know it's like um it's something kind of inconsistency i've noticed a lot and um uh i, I guess at least people talking about psychology. I'm not sure if I can say from psychologists because I'm sure they're pretty, pretty nuanced about these things, but it's like um, if we're talking about uh, feeling safe, which has become a, a very fundamental part of um, my uh, training process and methodology, is like cultivating a sense of safety. We have to first ask the question, are we actually safe? And sometimes the answer to that in parkour is no. Mm. So... Um, we might feel a sense of like, oh, my, my heart rate's gone up or my, my gut is clenching or something like this. And it's like, um, I, I know many, uh, many instances where a coach has just told someone, uh, like, just, just like, just go for it. Like just, just, you know, just push through. And then student has you know, received injury and it's like, this is basic stuff that is like, it's, it's not unnuanced. Like it's, it's definitely, it's um, there's a lot to talk about, but it's uh, pretty reliable in my experience that if someone doesn't feel like they can do something, then they can't do it. Mm. Um, so there are just some of these questions that we can ask that are very simple. Uh, so yeah, no, in, initially it's all about just pre- preparation, risk minimization, and then once the uh, let's say kind of algorithms are in place, then it's like well now we can now we can party a little bit now we can um, uh, 
um, now we now we have a positive uncertainty. Um, I like this because I can picture in the other approach, someone like myself just joining into some more casual parkour group, seeing what they're doing and just, you know, you have this sense sometimes when you're working on your capacity as well, that you should be able to do things. You're like, yeah, I'm strong. You know, I can jump, I can do this. And so when it comes to that task, you kind of just want to do it. But I like this priority or this, uh, this awareness that I think you're trying to provide to your students to listen towards what their senses are telling them as well. And especially that thing about, okay, if you're not feeling safe, then I mean, I've experienced this, we say trying to learn like the macacao, right? And if you don't feel safe going over backwards, no matter how much I can kind of force myself to do it, it doesn't really work. And <laughs> say if it was in a more uncertain environment such as park or I guarantee I probably would hurt myself. So with that, there is still this thing about this perception, right? Where we have to judge where the edges of our ability are sort of to overcome them. So how do we balance this sense of, Hey, I'm not safe, but you know, I am in an uncertain environment because parkour is new to me and I got to do it, but I can't also just not do nothing. I have to do something. So how do we start with that? I'll, I'll tell you about a, about an experiment that I ran in a, in a workshop in, in Germany. Uh, and I've been kind of running this experiment for a while and I have some results. Uh, not, I'm not claiming this is science um, in the technical sense. Um, I have some results. I don't really know what to, what to do with them, but that's kind of what we're going to be exploring in the, in the coming um, online exploration project. But so I was t- teaching a workshop in the, in the region of, I always get this wrong, but R-U-H-R, shout out German people. Um, I'm sorry for my, my pronunciation. Um, so teaching a workshop, uh, the idea was um, the, the sense of meaning. So the sense of wanting to, um, although I, I, I would maybe re, reclassify that as, as motivation. Um, so I need to, need to fig, refigure that one out, but trying to find the sense of wanting to continue uh, what is this? What 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 is what does this feel like? What does it feel like to um, really feel this kind of impulse to keep on going? The sense of like one more timeless. Mm. I'm sure everyone everyone listening is familiar with. It's like whether you're juggling or you're trying to stick a landing or you're like whatever it is. It's like um, so we're trying to uh, create this. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm actually mixed up. So there was two workshops that I did at the same time. I'll just tell you about this one anyway, because I've started. So the, the, um, the, the goal was to create a sense of meaning. Um, uh, and so what we did was we had a, there was a uh, kind of simple uh, stride setup. So it's like one kind of uh, slightly more complex structure with a lot of different levels and then one uh, takeoff wall and then, and then another kind of set of bollards behind this. So it was really perfect to have about 15 or so people working on this, on this task. And the task was um, as soon as you succeed with the challenge that you set yourself, immediately set yourself a, a slightly more difficult one, a slightly more mm. complex one. Um, so uh, even if it's not done to the highest quality, like the point here is just to get the sense of, of uh, mm. I want to continue. 
Uh, and it was really cool to see because every single person was like super engaged, super focused, like, oh, crap, I want to like, it's like, and then like the workshop had to end and it was like, everyone's like, oh, I want to, you know, want to keep on going. Um, so th this, this kind of thing I, I, I think is very cool. Um, but yeah, go ahead. This, this sounds like quite a smart way of applying almost like this principle of progressive overload, uh, yeah. with, with, with the volume, but in a, in, in a different context than just lifting weights. Right. And it's just like do this and then just slightly a little bit more, right. slightly a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And then you, yeah. but you, but you start within like your, your safe zone. Right. And then you can just add a little bit more. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll finish that. Um, by just talking about the, 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 the second workshop that I, that I taught in, in this event, which was about, um, about this, the sense of threat and safety and kind of threat, threat detection. So the, the idea was to see what are the uh, signals of the body and, and do they represent things um, uh, kind of interpersonally. So if, for example, my heart beats really quickly in a, in a kind of specific way and your heart does the same does this indicate that we're having a similar experience or is it more kind of random? Um, so how well do these specific, uh, let's say, let's say emotions, or maybe we could say intuitions, mm -hmm. uh, how, how much do these map onto reality? What, what does my, what does my body, uh, what, what are the movements of my body really tell me about the state of, of, um, uh, what I can kind of expect to, to happen? So, we started by doing a little zero pointing kind of meditation just to, to relax, get a sense of how the heart feels in a, in a kind of ordinary rhythm. Um, get a sense of how the gut feels. Uh, we're just trying to kind of build this, build this um, a zero point to, to work from later. So we did this little meditation and then we went to this, um, this uh, scaffolding setup that was made for the event. It's really incredible kind of fractal odd and really uh, uh, kind of chaotic setup in, in the best way mm -hmm. um, very tree-like so a lot of opportunity um, a lot a lot of uh, things to look at and that was the task was just to go and, and try to to look at a challenge that was kind of on that boundary what we were discussing kind of on that boundary and just to see how that makes you feel um, and then we did this for three minutes or so and then got everyone to come back and, and the, the report was, yeah, okay. I looked at this jump and my heart rate went up or yeah, I looked at this jump and my, and my stomach kind of contracted. Hmm. So th these were the kind of two uh, clearest sensations, but it might just be that those are the only two that I had the kind of tools to, to comb for. There are probably many subtleties within this, but, um, from there, the next task was to try to do the jump. Um, and that was particularly interesting. Uh, the, the majority of the response that we got there, which was kind of what I expected to, um, to be the outcome. Um, and again, maybe that's just because uh, I expected it. So I, so I saw the outcome, but it, it seemed like the, the evidence was saying hmm. uh, that the people who had an increase in their heart rate were generally able to do their jumps and the people who had this uh, contraction in the gut generally were uh, not able to do the jump until they were able to feel the, the heart a little bit more clearly. Mm. What that means, I have no idea. 
Yeah, that's um, really interesting. It's like follow your follow your heart, but listen to your gut. That's yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the phrase that's come out of this. So, and do you think that those people technically could have just done the jump? Say, if it was just right. from one point to another on on the ground, would they be able right. to do it? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was all working with people who had some experience, which is also great. So I could really play with these things a bit more. Hmm. Um, it was a jam for for parkour practitioners. Um, so everyone there had been training for at least uh, at least a year. So I could kind of throw throw a bit of risk at them. Um, the other really interesting question is, if they felt like they couldn't do it, but they just did it, what would what would happen? Um, and yeah, there's a sort of like a space in between, like like we were saying earlier, there's a sort of space in between um, uh, reality and and uh, kind of subjective reality and yeah, kind of space between objective and subjective, that's it. Um, my, my experience is, yeah, generally, if you get a strong sense from your body to not do it, then, then probably probably shouldn't do it. I've seen too many injuries. Mm. So this goes to, I think, something that you posted almost like today, which is about like internal states that represent danger and sa- safety. And yeah. I think you were going to present this to the group as how to influence them and when to listen to them. So yeah. you've mentioned this heart um, feeling and, and, and this stomach contracting. Maybe what, yeah, how, what else have you noticed within yourself and within students and how do you guide people to, to get this sensitivity towards this internal state? Yeah. And do we always just then use that as a guide to go, okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm going to do it. Or is there also a time when you just actually just have to do it? Right. Great, great, great questions. Um, I'll start with the first one there and then you can remind me what the second two are because it's just the way that my, my mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the first regarding, um, sensitivity there's something i've been studying at the moment and just sort of noticing more clearly is the uh the uh measurement of emotion and i I think this is particularly interesting because um the internal states are often kind of bypassed because they're quite difficult to measure and i'm not talking about um really putting numbers to these things or or even you know doing your your one rn uh fear or something like this so then maybe that would be a fascinating direction to go down but it's measuring emotion in the sense of um, getting some feedback. Uh, it, it, I guess mapping is, is, is the word that just feels kind of most appropriate here um, in the sense of uh, there's set responses that we have. So let's say if I'm stressed, uh, maybe my mouth is going to go dry and my pupils are going to dilate and um, uh, maybe my jaw is going to get a little bit more tense and my ears are going to go a little bit more red. So there, there are kind of things like this mm. that we can notice. Um, or again, the, these kind of pure subjective states, uh, these kind of uh, visceral um, responses that I was, I was talking about. So you can kind of use stuff like this to um, build observations around. But then again, it's like, what do you do with the observation, which is your next question. Um, as I, I'm not sure if I made it super clear in the last uh, little point about the about the workshop, but the the real key thing for um, in that instance, allowing people to go from 
there, like looking at the challenge and being a little bit uh, apprehensive to doing it was uh, exposure. So through this practice of um, uh, exposing oneself to a, uh, let's say lower entropy or, or, or simpler, less chaotic version of the mm -hmm. ultimate challenge. Um, it, it seems very reliable that the body will, will calm down. Um, exposure, I, I think, is, is perhaps the most powerful, um, most reliable thing to create change. It's like, obviously, those things like you, know, you, you are the person, you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with, stuff like this, and it's quite true. But in terms of, um, what, our, what we'll allow ourselves to, to do, it's, 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 a, it's a huge factor. So in the, in the process of um, translating um, uh, what you could say is kind of appreh apprehensiveness, kind of caution and a little bit of fear, mm -hmm. translating that into uh, safety, boldness, um, and this kind of willingness to, to, to move forwards. I would say, A, exposure has a large role. But then there's also something else going on. So there's a real space for stepping into the unknown. Um, and and this, is a, this is a really cool one. I, I, I like to visualize this as, um, I, I like to visualize growth in this way in, in, in two sort of distinct ways. Um, one being increasing the, 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 increasing the boundaries, increasing the boundaries of what is familiar uh, kind of this orderly approach of, um, let's say, capacity training or technique training or exposure training, mm -hmm. where we're giving ourselves something to, to um, maybe adapt to. Um, there's this this kind of way of, of, uh, of um, progressing, let's say. And then another way would be not increasing the territory, but actually stepping a little bit further outside of it. Um, and as you said, it's, it's not always clear where the real kind of boundary is in, in, in this way. What is, what is that space between this is something I can do and this is something I can't do. And it can be quite a reliable way to get injured is just sort of like marching straight into the, into the deepest depths of the unknown. But there seems to be a lot of power in dancing on the edge a little bit. Maybe not all the time, but at least sometimes mm -hmm. to spend some time right on the on the uh, sort of precipice of what you what you feel that like you can and what you feel that like you can't do. I, I, I'll share an experience that I had with this actually because it was quite an interesting one um, uh, that, that had a very strong uh, like I'm not, it created a very strong emotional reaction in myself. So I was learning uh, a movement called a giant, which is a full 360 swing around the bar. Mm. And I'm very comfortable with swings and with uh, swing gainers and swing turns and all of these movements that use the same, uh, let's say, kind of vector, same, same, same direction and um, point of the body. So technically, I felt very, very comfortable with this. And then I was with a friend of mine who's uh, actually, uh, I mentioned earlier, Daniel, who's uh, immensely skilled. And said to him, like, oh, can, can you help me with this? Okay, I really want to do this. So yeah, cool. So we um, did a did a regression where you just swing onto the hips, which can kind of only be done with a little bit of swing, um, mm -hmm. and I was able to do this very very comfortably. 
and then would sort of speak to, to my friend sort of in between the in between the sets and what he really encouraged me to do there was to um uh, actually step out into that uncertainty um whereas for me my, my approach normally is to kind of edge quite slowly very incrementally towards this this um this space i would say i'm not um a huge natural risk taker although some people would argue argue that point um so normally i would say i kind of edge half a percent forwards at a time or even less uh, but in this instance um i felt very kind of facilitated to actually edge maybe like five percent forward from, from where i felt like i was uh, and there's quite a kind of in intensity within this movement as well because you're swinging forwards with quite a lot of power swinging back and it's a very um kind of, uh, technically intricate movement and then so after all of this this forward swing back swing um the final kind of beat if you imagine it's like similar to a flying trapeze or something like this so the final kind of beat and then it's like whoosh up and and over and so this is something i hadn't done before this movement i hadn't done before i wanted to do it for a long time i was also going through a bit of a time in, in, my, in my personal life it was a little bit before my wrist actually and uh and i got over to the other side and i just started crying mm. I just felt whoosh, this huge kind of welling up of, of emotion. I was like, what, what is going on? And, and so th this is also something of a, uh, something I, I wouldn't say I have a, a very um, deep understanding of is where that, um, what, what the exact relationship was there between this kind of going into this new territory and feeling something that I obviously had inside of myself that I wasn't, wasn't feeling so clearly. So to me, it seems like there's a real space, uh, a real potential for, um, let's say, operating in ways that you don't normally operate. And, and maybe sometimes this needs a bit more of a, of a push. Uh, like I said, I used to do a lot of this kind of training in, in the past, where it would be a lot of um, um, kind of fear and uncertainty, but it'd be very kind of logic, logic driven. Um, and, and this was quite, quite powerful. Um, and, and this is another element of uh, parkour that we could talk a little bit about um, is uh, kind of transformation. This is a sort of a side side quest for me. Uh, so something I, I found very powerful was um, working with this idea of like the golden shadow and the kind of like more uh, positive aspects of oneself that one pushes away. Um, and, and I found this to be a very powerful process of kind of asking uh, what do I deeply admire in other people and how does that reflect on uh, something that I am maybe kind of um, suppressing in, in myself or not integrating. Uh, and and, and uh, this is also a bit of a tangent, but this, for, for me, I, the, the thing that came through very clearly was um, um, just to be more consistent, to be a little bit more orderly, something I really admire in other people because it's a superpower. It's um, to be to be organised. It's it's absolutely a superpower um, to uh, use time to your advantage in this way to, to kind of organise greater things over greater periods of time. It's, it's absolutely huge. Mm. Um, so I wanted to kind of prove this to myself. I had this capacity. So I, I did this uh, writing project over the kind of lockdown from, from I guess kind of I, I did it for ten weeks up until July and. and it was like, uh, 
two essays each week about just something I found interesting. And I ended up writing like 25,000 words in, in 10 weeks and just felt wow. completely uh, swallowed up by this, by this process, which was great. Um, what else to, to say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, go, go, uh, so, so many places to go. So, go Yeah. Um, and is some of that work part of the blog posts that you've shared on your website? I, I actually haven't um, shared any of these as blogs on my website. Um, that's something I've been wanting to, to do, but I just haven't wanted to. Um, I, I, I try to be quite, uh, I guess, careful with my attention. And uh, something like this, it's, I think it could, could probably do quite a, quite a lot of work in just sort of reorganizing some of these essays and, 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 and posting them again. But I, I find that um, I, I put a lot of faith in my uh, unconscious processing power. And mm-hmm. um, so there's this nice story of, uh, you know, Oliver Sacks is a very cool uh, neurologist, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think, I think he was a, a neurologist in some way. Uh, he wrote books like um, A Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, um, where he would d- document people's uh, unusual and interesting um, hallucinations and kind of neuro, uh, um, neuro things, let's say. And, and so he, he, in one of his books, I can't remember which one, uh, might have been the anthropologist on Mars, went to somewhere in the, in the middle of the US and speaks to this guy who's a autistic savant. So he's like very intelligent in some areas and then has like a great deficit in, in some others and goes to this guy and he says, okay, so we have this like seven by seven digit uh, math problem to solve. So they give him the question and they're like, so what's the answer? And he's like, I have, I have no idea. Uh, okay. and so they, they go and they come back two weeks later and speak to the same savant and they ask him again, so what do you, do you know now what the, what the answer is? And he's like, boom, it's this, and, and, and gives the correct answer. And they say, oh, so have you been working on this? Have you been thinking about it? And he's like, no, not, not at all. I've just been letting it process in, in the back of my mind. Um, and, and to me, this story highlights a capacity that we have um, which is to um, kind of work on stuff behind the scenes, let's say, mm-hmm. um, to quite a powerful degree. But it seems like this guy has a savant, has his deficits in other areas, but then a kind of surplus in, in, uh, in this processing capacity or maybe something else. Um, so for me, I try and use this capacity, obviously not, not as much as our friend, but um, so uh, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, most of my uh, processing power will just be kind of put towards whatever I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on at the, at the time. So when I was doing the essays, that was what I was focusing on, uh, and that felt great. But right now, it doesn't feel like um, the most um, sort of value-building use of my attention. So I'm just focusing all of my, all of my bits on, uh, on the group, really, at the moment, and coaching work. So one other area I wanted to touch on as well is about when you make mistakes and when you fall you've touched on it a little bit about this as you termed algorithmic programming which i found really interesting but perhaps with this concept of falling itself such as if you're going for a jump i know that 
in my handstand practice, once I learned how to bail out of a handstand and do the cartwheel, then it just changed the game, right? Then you're just like, okay, I can just keep on doing this, doing this, doing this. So how do you integrate that sort of concept into parkour? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, All maths on like perfectly to what we've been talking about. Uh, Once you have a sense of, oh, I can fail, then it's like, cool, then I can be, can be, uh, can be bold. There's a really nice uh, quote from Stephen uh, Porges. He's a guy that discovered the polyvagal theory system, whatever. Uh, he said, um, uh, boldness is the other side of safety or something like this. So like to feel bold, to feel kind of confident to go into the unknown, you also need to feel a sense of safety, mm. positive uncertainty, um, blah, blah, blah. So um, yeah, but by... Um, kind of anticipating what could go wrong uh, and then accounting for it. For me, this is like the best path to, to confidence. Like it's really not about just going like, I'm just scared and I'm gonna like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared I'm gonna like, I don't know, lose, my, lose my, uh, my arm right now, but I'm just gonna go for it anyway. It's like, we're not in a war. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, it take your time. But uh, so, so practicing a lot of, for me, the, the foundation is just working with balance, is um, being able to sort of shift between this um, kind of sissy squat type position and a kind of deep hinge. So both movements, your center of mass is, is staying balanced, but you're kind of shifting quite radically. So in the same way that you can save a handstand, you have maybe this much margin for error or this much or, or this much if you're really good. Mm. Same thing with landing. And then it's like um, analogously, you've got your cartwheel out what would be the analogous point there? Let's say we're doing a precision jump that's over head height. The analogy there would be, the analogous movement would be to bounce back and uh, catch in a hang position or to bounce back and land in, the, on the, on the, in a support position uh, or to come forwards, keep the, keep the mass in front of the wall and turn, go forwards and turn into the hang. Uh, and these are all things that can be practiced and kind of programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, yeah, I, I recently training with a, with a friend, a Brazilian friend, um, uh, Farias. Uh, his answer, I think, is uh, at F-A-R-I-A-S-P-K. I'm saying this because he's uh, amazing and I want everyone to, to see how incredible he is. But mm-hmm. um, he, he and I were training at this quite high up spot. Um, I haven't felt drawn to high training, so I was... Uh, for, for quite a while so I was quite kind of um, slow let's say apprehensive in this area but he was very very comfortable and it was just interesting seeing um, him completing this pretty large kind of angular um, precision um, with a sh- small drop on the front but a 20 meter drop on the back mm. which is Pretty, pretty intense, um, potentially. Um, but the, the cool thing was that I, I felt so clearly that if he bounced back, because he was so uh, uh, physically strong and um, experienced, that there, there was just zero chance of him actually interacting with that height. Mm. Um, and, and so again, it's like, it, 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 the confidence really has to be ground up. It, it, it can't... It, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, it, I guess it's a bit of both. But um, like we could also talk about uh, reappraisal, which is the process of taking a 
like uh, seeing things from different perspectives mm -hmm. in order to change how you feel. But that's something which is like, really powerful. Um, but it's quite easy to kind of mis misguide the the body by what we what we think is happening. Um, the, an experienced body to me is uh, is a much more reliable um, source. But then, yeah. It, 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 again, many directions we could then talk about intuition and stuff like this. Um, but yeah, re regarding just sort of safety and um, uh, uh, creating this sense of safety through practicing movements would be things like uh, learning how to drop, learning how to bounce back and, and catch walls, uh, learning how to create kind of softness on the ground is something that I'm working on a bit more at the moment. Uh, it feels like a bit of a gap for me as this kind of floor acrobatic stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to integrate it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, just cr creating um, um, and also being able to take uh, larger drops. Um, like any any range of these things that, that where you can look at the kind of worst possible outcome and say I'm I'm ready for this. Um, I, I, I once asked a student to. Uh, imagine the worst possible outcome, <laughs> which is uh, a little bit funny in itself, but said um, uh, it, it was something, I think it was a very simple, safe jump, but it was a little bit, a little bit high. So it's like mentally, uh, uh, intuitively quite challenging. And I said, what is the worst that could actually go wrong here? And she said, well, I could, I could uh, slip here and then hit my head and then I could, and this is a student that I, that I knew quite well, I knew, I knew she was quite skilled. So well, I could I could slip and I could hit my head and then I could bleed out and then I'm going to be stuck in here and then all of this and it's like, but what is the most? Like, how how realistic is that? How um how probable is that to, to happen? And I knew that the answer for her was that it was very uh, unlikely to, to happen, um, uh, because of her uh, prior um, um exposure, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's uh, something I said earlier, I guess it's like the, the reduction of um, uh, variability is also a huge factor there. So um, focus a lot on the, like the quality of the landing, mm -hmm. uh, the quality of the reception, using the edge of the wall a lot, because it really reduces the variability. Uh, if I land and I can roll onto the wall with my foot, then I can block myself from, from slipping, which um, makes, makes, things, uh, makes things safe, makes it possible to do uh, a lot of movement in the, in the rain and the wet. Uh, a friend of mine, a Scottish friend recently posted a, a video of him doing a, not a huge precision, but it was maybe like eight or nine foot, um, onto snow. So taking off and landing on, on snow. So there's things like this where it's like, it's by manipulating your body in the right way, it's possible to be really safe. Um, but, uh, yeah, confidence from the ground up is, is the point there. I think that's part of the magic of when you're not involved in that art and then you're just watching it and you don't really know these things yeah. it's like, wow, what just happened? Like, how can they do these type of yeah. things? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And then hearing you explain it, it's like, Oh, okay. So it's just these slight tweaks or these slight things that you know how to do that can make the big difference, which I really love to hear. So yeah. there's this, uh, final area that I wanted to touch on, which is you mentioned like longevity and 
uh, you know, parkour and longevity that, that when I just hear that, yeah. that also seems like, you know, a bit, bit strange, but apart from yeah. this whole, uh, risk and safety side which we've touched on a lot um another thing that's really big coming from the movement culture is always about like prehab rehab you know uh preparing the body so one thing i know from doing a few jumps is like the impact landings is 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 quite tough and i've watched a few videos of you when you're doing those the swinging or the lashes and it looks very forceful as well so what's your approach with preparing the body for this type of work and skills so interestingly you're the second person to comment on the swimming stuff as being a high impact but um it's it's actually the lowest impact movement in parkour Mm. because of the body position and this is another little portal into um into some of the things that are going on here it's when we do a lache to precision, which is when we're swinging on a bar, and then we release and travel, uh, landing on the, on the feet and controlling the landing. The angle of travel is so um, uh, uh, tilted backwards so that the feet are maybe a, a meter or more potentially in front of the body. There's a huge space for um, uh, deceleration. So if, if you imagine... Um, just jumping up on the floor, but immediately tucking and then just holding the tuck the whole time. It's like, and I, I don't recommend that you, you do this, so that you're welcome to. Don't sue me. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a, a great deal of impact on the on the on the knees and on the body. Um, whereas extending and then slowing down. So there's 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 stuff like this um, where you can kind of manipulate the position of the body, um, but there's absolutely uh, crucially um strength uh flexibility stuff like this so so creating um the the right adaptations outside of the practice of parkour is 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 huge something that a lot of them climate attention into uh also in trying to do it in a kind of uh not a parkour way but in an efficient way um so i i appreciate the um mentality of uh is philip the uh at mindful mover yep who, who i think takes maybe i mean there's some like instagram incentive stuff going on there that makes his work for me a little bit fun but the core principle there is just like what is the most we can get in the least amount of time um so for example training a lot of like um uh weighted uh, i guess weighted lunges um using like a various little tweaks in order to try and get a few more adaptations Something i've been enjoying recently is doing um uh kind of try, trying to uh, stack a bunch of adaptations into one set let's say so doing um uh say weighted lunges with a pause at the bottom like three second pause for flexibility um very fast concentric for power um been playing with uh, an, an idea inspired by a guy called uh, Jake Kura, who's I don't know where he's from, but he's very cool. He's doing um, doing some nice stuff. Um, which is the idea of uh, hypertrophy clusters. So it's doing um, taking like a sixty percent RM, doing half as many reps for twice as many sets, and then and then using uh, a uh, a superset. So, for example, 
um, last weighted training I was doing was uh, I think 10 sets of four or five reps with about 60% RM uh, on um, single leg squats or, or lunges um, and deficit Romanian deadlifts. So doing um, kind of slow-ish uh, eccentric um, three-second-ish pause at the bottom and then fast concentric. Uh, and, and yeah, stuff like this, we're trying to get some multiple adaptations within one set because I don't, I don't really want to spend all my time in, in the, in the gym, depending on what the gym is. Some gyms are really nice, yeah. but, uh, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's it's super, super important. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole other conversation with the uh, conditioning for parkour is, is something I would love to also speak about for two hours, but, uh, hmm. Yeah, well, it's been wonderful with you sharing um, all these thoughts today. And what I just wanted to ask is maybe just upcoming, you know, it seems like your attention is really focused within this cultivation of the group at the moment. So yeah. what have you got planned for the group? Yeah, so uh, in the upcoming uh, projects, we're going to be looking at um, the management of fear, the detection of threat, and the process of feeling safe. Um, so we're gonna go a little bit into the into the theory, the sciencey stuff here, um, and then yeah, run run a bunch of um, run a bunch of experiments, uh, and test out some of these ideas, um, see what other people within the group bring. And and this is the thing that I really like about the group is that it's it's really not me telling you stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of that maybe. Um, but it's, uh, as I said uh, yesterday in a post, it, it's starting to feel like a kind of jazz improvisation. It's mm. All of these different interesting people with, with different perspectives coming in. Um, we have 13 in the group at the moment. Um, we have some uh, uh, people from, from a dance background. We have a guy from uh, Alexander Technique background. He's also a musician. So there's like all of these different perspectives coming in, um, which, has been, which has been great. So I'm really looking forward to uh getting a sense of of uh, how people respond to the, to the work and, and, and come together in this way uh so that that'll be from the i think third of, of january roughly we'll be starting that and so that's a kind of six to eight week uh deep dive into some of the science behind um feeling safe or feeling in danger uh how to influence these states um uh and, and, and all the all of the kind of nuances we've discussed about should you influence these states when should you listen to them mm -hmm. and also trying to sort of refine my uh, coaching process at the moment um i would say i'm as a as a teacher i, I saw someone uh, say this in a post recently and i was like really glad that it was just great great to see this i i really feel like i'm not a motivator i'm not interested at all in in cracking the whip or anything like this um so yeah, I guess I'm just sort of trying to re refine my uh, pop-up coaching process to make that as, as smooth as possible. So probably we'll be sharing a little bit more of this stuff as well. Um, yeah, trying to move to Portugal. That's, that's my main, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, uh, my, 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 one of my big goals at the moment. Well, you're already there, right? So yeah, yeah. with, uh, 
if anyone listening is really interested in this work and wants to get in touch, wants to find out a little bit more, uh, where would you recommend they go to? Yeah. Uh, Instagram or websites are the two things that I use to interface with the, with the world. Um, so that's uh, both are just Flynn Disney, uh, at Flynn Disney and FlynnDisney.com. And um, that is my, my real name. Uh, no relation, unfortunately. <laughs> I was going to ask that just at the very end, you know, are you yeah. like some great descendant? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, unfortunately not. In fact. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for your time today, Flynn. Um, it's been wonderful getting this insight into your mind, into your, I think, yeah, unique way of approaching parkour. It's, I found it Oh, I think it's approached very intelligently and I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. I do urge listeners to go onto your website and even have a look and read those blog posts because they're very detailed. I found them very interesting reads as well. And yeah, I just hope you enjoy your, the rest of your time in Portugal and really looking forward to more of your thoughts being shared on your platforms. And that's it, guys. That's all for today. Thanks to Flynn for jumping on the podcast. It was really interesting hearing his thoughts. I really do urge you guys to check out his website. That's flyndisney.com. He's got some really interesting blog articles. So if you really resonated with some of his thoughts, there's a bit more depth in there as well. Otherwise, you can get in touch with him directly on Instagram at flyndisney. And... I want to thank you guys for sticking around, listening to the podcast, supporting. It really means a lot to me and helps me keep the podcast going. If you have any questions about the podcast or any suggestions about the podcast, any suggestions for guests as well, you can reach me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp, at P-H-A-O-N-P, or you can jump on the PassiveHang.com, the website, and also find my details there. So would love to hear from you guys. And I have a lot more episodes coming up in this new year, a lot more new announcements as well for the Passive Hang. So I can't wait to share them with you guys and I will see you in the next episode.